Psalm 118. And then once you've found Psalm 118, we're going to go from there to Luke chapter 7 in just a minute. This little series we've entitled Thanksgiving Songs. And the premise is, it seems like there are songs around every holiday except Thanksgiving. There are no Thanksgiving songs. Well, that's maybe true for contemporary music, but we know that there are a lot of ancient Thanksgiving songs. In fact, it's called the Book of Psalms. This was the hymnal that ancient Jews used for worship. Um, today is the last of the Thanksgiving songs we're going to talk about. It's in Psalm 118. And just for background's sake, Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm. That means this is a song that is about or points to Jesus. Now, Bible scholars say there are 15 messianic psalms. Some Bible scholars that are maybe more um, uh, prophetic than others say there's more, but we're pretty sure that there are 15. But Psalms 18, or Psalms 118, is absolutely, without a doubt, definitely a messianic psalm because Jesus himself said it was. We're going to begin reading in verse 19 of Psalms 118. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. Now I think we need to stop right there for a second and define this term salvation. When ancient Jews stood together in the temple and worshiped God, what did they mean by salvation? Were they talking about the exodus where God delivered them from slavery or when the Red Sea opened and God delivered them from Pharaoh's army or all down through the centuries when God fought the battles against the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the Philistines? Was that the salvation they were talking about? And then how do we, first or 21st century Christians, define this term salvation? Does that mean we answered an altar call? Or prayed the sinner's prayer? Do we think we're saved because we stopped sinning? Well, the psalmist goes on actually to help us with his definition. Look at verse 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Now, keep your finger there if you want to follow along over Matthew chapter 21. The story of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem for the last Passover. There's a big controversy there when everybody's praising Jesus. And the religious leaders say to Jesus, who do you think you are? Who gave you the authority? To walk in here and receive praise like this. And Jesus quoted Psalms 118 in Matthew 21, 42. Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then he prophesied over them in verse 43. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Wow. All right, now go back to Psalm 118. 
This also points prophetically to the triumphal entry where the psalmist says, Blessed is he, verse 26, who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. And here's where Psalms 118 becomes a thanksgiving song. Verse 28, you are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. I really had high hopes for this series. And I'm just going to be real transparent with you here. When I kind of thought about talking to you about Thanksgiving songs, I was thinking, you know, we really don't do a good job expressing our thanks. Gratitude is such a liberating um, quality for Christ followers. If we were more grateful, if we did a better job of expressing our gratitude, our lives will be better. But frankly, I can't get there because I think we're overlooking some of the fundamentals that would get us there. Let me tell you what I mean. As I read through Psalms 118, I was thinking about these ancient Jews standing in the temple singing this song. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Lord, save us. I think they were thinking in their minds, well, that's cute. I hope that someone needs this, gets this. And the psalmist says, what are you talking about? What do you mean you hope someone gets this? What do you mean this, those people out there? And the Jews say, well, obviously this is prophetic. This has to be talking about some other Jews in the future. And the psalmist says, verse 42, but the Lord has done it this very day. And the Jews said, not for us. We're saved. We don't need to be saved. We're God's chosen people. We're the children of Abraham. This psalm is for somebody else. Why would we be thankful for salvation? And I'm thinking, how could they be so blind? Can't they just be thankful for, for God's goodness, for his forgiveness? I think they suffered from two glaring issues. Number one, they were rich. They were living in the most powerful, most prosperous nation in David's kingdom the earth had ever known. They didn't need salvation. They had everything they needed. Poor people needed salvation, not them. Desperate people needed help, not them. So they were rich. The other problem they had is that they were righteous. Or I should say they were self-righteous. Because they went to church every Sunday. They were able to quote, great swaths of scripture. They were careful to observe all the religious trans traditions. They had little appreciation for God's forgiveness. There's a story over in Luke 7 that illustrates this. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Let me give you a little context here. The Pharisees were a Jewish sect 
that were very, very observant of the law. And they also required that anybody they knew be very, very observant to the law. Consequently, they despised Jesus because he was not observant to their version of the law. Jesus actually loved people more than the law. So they really had a problem. So I'm thinking, so why is Jesus at this Pharisee's house? This particular Pharisee's name is Simon, and we're not sure why he invited Jesus to dinner, maybe to gather theological evidence against him so they could try him sometime. Maybe Simon just wanted to raise his street cred because Jesus was somewhat of a celebrity by this time. Maybe Simon was just trying to get Instagram likes. Now, one other thing I want to show you, we know from, from other places in Scripture and also from ancient Roman paintings, the meal would have been around a big table, and they would have reclined either on the ground or on low couches or pillows, and their feet would have been away from the table and their torso up on the table. And they probably would have leaned on their left arm so they could eat with the right hand, and their heads would be close together, and their feet would be out away from the table. Also, another thing interesting about this that we see in other places in Scripture, these dinners, these banquets were probably outdoors, maybe in a courtyard or something, because people could see what was going on. Remember when Jesus was at Matthew the publican's house and all the Pharisees were watching and said, look, he eats with sinners. So apparently it was customary for curious people to stand around and watch what was going on even though they weren't invited. And in some places we see they were even allowed to kind of walk through and see what was going on, which seems very strange to us. But it seemed customary at that time, which makes verse 37 a little more understandable. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, this is really heartbreaking if you think about them because this woman is not identified by her name. She's identified by her lifestyle. She's described as a sinful woman, and it's pretty obvious that everybody in town knew what kind of woman she was. Now, John's account of this story names her as Mary, and most theologians think it's Mary Magdalene, but we don't know that for sure. What we can infer is that she was not invited to this dinner. Her presence there made everything awkward, and her behavior created an absolute scandal. It's also clear, if you kind of read between the lines a little bit, that she was a disciple. She had obviously, at some point, come to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and she showed up at this dinner to worship him, to thank him for what she had done, or he had done in her life. So she's moved by gratitude, she barges into this banquet, and she knew that she would be condemned, or maybe worse maybe attacked, but she chose to put fear and shame away, and she went to extraordinary lengths to express thanksgiving to Jesus. Now, parental advisory before we go on. 
The following passage contains graphic images. Viewer discretion is advised. The text says, this woman stood behind Jesus. Now remember, Jesus' head and torso were toward the table, the feet are away. So she's standing at his feet. It's also apparent from the passage that she had come prepared to worship. She had brought an alabaster jar of priceless perfume. Where she got it, we don't know. But she was prepared to to go to extravagant lengths to worship Jesus. But then she started weeping. Did you see that? Now, what is she feeling? Why do you think this woman is weeping? And let me just say, she's not just crying. She is a puddle. She's a snotty, sloppy mess, weeping uncontrollably, and her bodily fluids are literally running onto Jesus' dirty feet. And impulsively, she takes her hair down to clean up the mess that she'd made, and she just made a bigger mess. I can't tell you how scandalous this woman's actions were. In fact, it was forbidden in the Talmud for a woman to take her hair down in public. A woman would take her hair down for her husband on her wedding night, and then she would never ever be seen by another man again with her hair down. So she is basically exposing herself in front of all these religious people And she wipes Jesus' feet and pours her perfume and begins kissing his feet. And the people there from that town says, usually she kisses men on other parts of their body, not their feet. So everybody in the room (gasps) recoiled in horror except Jesus. So what do you think happened? I think you know exactly what happened. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Now watch, he didn't say anything. He's thinking. But Jesus answered him. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You judged correctly, Jesus said. Now the Pharisee is saying to himself, what was I ever thinking inviting this guy to this dinner? What was I ever thinking there was something to him? that that I even flirted with the idea that he was godly. If this guy were really a prophet, wouldn't he know this woman's reputation? If this guy were really a prophet, he would not allow this woman within a mile of him. Then Jesus spins a little spur-of-the-moment parable. I love when Jesus does this. Two debtors, one owes about a month's salary, And one owes a year's salary. Neither could pay. So the debt holder forgave both. And the question is, which of the two debtors feels more thankful? 
which is more grateful to the one who forgave their debts? And Simon equivocates. Well, you know, I suppose maybe it could be. And I, I think Jesus said, stop. It's not a trick question. Who do you think is more grateful? The guy who had, he had a month's wages here that maybe there's some way he can figure out how to repay this. Or the other guy had a debt that was impossible to repay. Could not be done. And they're both forgiven. Which is more grateful? And Simon says, I suppose the one who has forgiven more. And Jesus said, duh. Right? It's obvious. And then Jesus proves that he actually is a prophet. Because not only does he know what kind of woman she is, but he knows what kind of person Simon is. Verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered does not stop kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head. She's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So Jesus proceeds to nail Simon and me and you. Because all the things that Jesus listed would have just been customary for the host at any banquet in that day. Jesus said, here's the deal, Simon. She's a 500 denarii sinner. You're only a 50 denarii sinner, but you're still a sinner. Don't miss the point. The difference is she owns her sin and you don't. She anointed me. You didn't. She kissed me. You didn't. She offered me water to wash my feet. You didn't. She weeps. You don't. So the sinful woman who risked so much just to love Jesus shows that she's genuinely thankful. What? Forgiveness. Because to those who've been forgiven much are more grateful. Verse 48, going back to Psalms 118. I'm sorry. This is verse 48 in Luke 7. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are already forgiven. What? Didn't we just establish a few minutes ago that she'd already been forgiven? What is this? Why does Jesus reassure her of his forgiveness? Answer, because that's what she needed. That was the greatest gift he could possibly bestow upon her. So it seems to me that in this story, the sinner, or the outsider, or if you will, the world, came to do for Jesus what the righteous person refused to do, what the church person didn't do. All right, Thanksgiving is this week. Everybody's going to be thankful. Even people who do not know God are going to be thankful. And we're all going to express our thankfulness in some way. Thank you for the blessings. We're family. That's so great. This is all so good. We get a day off. Yay. Some people will even be thankful to God. 
And all those things are good. I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy family and food. Those are all good things. But for those of us who have been redeemed, can I tell you that it's just not enough? It's inadequate. That's what I was talking about before when we haven't laid the foundation for thankfulness. Because I read Psalms 118, I'm ashamed to tell you that I relate to those people. I'm rich. But it's because I worked hard and I saved my money. I'm righteous because I went to church every Sunday. Look how good I am. I'm even a pastor. I've been in church my whole life. And I have forgotten what a sinner I am. I'm not even thankful for forgiveness. I catch myself wanting things this world has to offer. And in fact, when I weigh my wants against my gratitude, guess what wins? How could Jesus even love me? And those Psalms 118 Hebrews became the Pharisees, who in my mind became us, became the church people of today. And Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 21, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. You mean like the sinful woman who went to extraordinary lengths and risked everything just to express her gratitude to Jesus for forgiveness? Because here's my story. In my shame and in my brokenness, Jesus reached down and lifted me up. And can I tell you, you may not think I'm worth anything, but Jesus thought I was worth everything. And he saved me out of my darkness and he declared me righteous, not because of anything that I've done. In fact, Psalms 118 says, the Lord has done this. It's marvelous in our eyes. And I want you to understand that in 2022, given half a chance, the devil will blind you to this truth. And he will convince you that you're rich because you're good. And he will try to convince you that you don't need forgiveness because you go to church. But I'm telling you, based on the Word of God, that our lives are saved only by the mercy of Christ, period. And for that, we should be grateful. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Jesus, please, please remind us again while we were still sinners, while we wanted nothing whatsoever to do for you, while we were going our own way and just fine with it, you saw us and loved us and pursued us and gave your life for us.